0: We were fat teens back when plus-sized meant anything above a size
1: 12. Life was brutal. A bloodbath. Today, we look different, but still see the world through the lens of our fat girl experience. Because once you go fat, you never go back. This is Full Fat. How's it going, guys? I'm Sam Luck. That other voice you're about to hear is Natalie Roach, and we are Full Fat, the podcast that's fit for work and fit for twerk. Today,
0: we are going to be chatting about the highs and the lows of hustling while husky.
1: Early job memories, fat phobia, how that shows up at work, and jobs where being plus-sized is a plus. We'll also be discussing tips on how to be a fat ally
0: at work and talk through our own vision of a workplace fat-topia. Yes,
1: dare to dream. So, pour yourself a cup of ambition. I take mine black with a stevia, obviously. And let's get to work with fatness and the workplace. Yo, yeah. Now, just to set the scene here, I work as a creative in advertising. Natalie works in higher education, but that wasn't always our jam. We're going to get into our kind of occupational histories a little bit. Natalie, tell me, what's the first thing that you can remember doing to earn cash money?
0: Recognizing that cash was the gateway to food. I mean, I started the hustle pretty friggin' young. And one of them was when a parent's friends used to get me to watch their kid while they went away for the entire weekend. And that was like... I'm in charge here. Like, this is basically going to be the candy house from Hansel and Gretel without the child murder. (laughs) Like, we're talking candy nonstop. Oh, my God. Like, every time you're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, we're going to bake. That's what we're going to do. We're going to bake copious amounts of cookies. You would
1: have been my dream sitter. I would have been like, can we have Natalie again, please? Cash was left to order pizza,
0: which clearly was. Yeah. And he would say, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, we can either watch a movie or we can play Mario Kart or we can bake or we can continue to eat pizza. That kid must have gained 10 pounds. Oh, pounds. Like after his parents came home. And there was one weekend where I went, they had just gotten a new puppy. And I got up in the middle of the night and the new puppy like obviously didn't see it. It was really sneaky and little. Sam, I fucking stepped on it. Oh my you would have felt that. Oh, he, there was a yelp that was concerning. There was a yelp that I'm thinking, am I going to have to do like a midnight emergency vet run? I mean, this is like fucking puppy pate under my 300 pound foot. Puppy pate. Puppy
1: pate. <laughs> like, oh my God. Jazz survived and lived a long life. Whatever. You know how when you babysat, people would be like, help yourself to whatever's in the fridge. Like, they don't. If they don't understand what that means. <laughs> they don't expect what's coming. No. When you're- they,
0: don't, they don't know the depth. Like, they don't know. And it's like, help yourself. It's like that full-size,
1: family-size bag of McCain fries that was unopened, it's gone. Oh, yeah. Say goodbye to those. And, like, no one can fluff a bag of potato chips or a box of cookies like a fat girl. No. Like, it's, no. A, it's basically like a David Copperfield-style magical <laughs> <laughs> one and two, and you never knew that they were gone, right? Instead of pulling a fucking rabbit out of that cookie box, you're pulling an
0: empty tray. That's what you're pulling out of that box, okay? Yep. I always felt when they would say help yourself, I'm like, well, you mean help yourself like a thin girl. You don't mean help yourself like husky ladies like ourselves. A hundred percent. Another thing with childcare, I worked in a daycare, and I remember this kid, and I thought we were having a moment, and he came up to me. And he's, like, giving me a hug and his arms are wrapped around my stomach. Just looks up at me with these, like, little brown, cute, innocent eyes. And he says, is there a baby in there? Oh, no! Well, you know what I felt like saying? Well, there's a crispy mini baby in there, sweetheart. Because I just downed about two bags in the kitchen when I had to go in and prepare a snack. All right?
1: I actually have an idea on how to train kids about this just so that they understand what it's like. I'd be like, how do you feel when you eat ice cream? And they'd go... I love ice cream. And I'd go, that's right. It feels good, right? You feel good. They're like, yeah, yeah. And then I'd say, well, see a fat person, they need a lot of cheering up. Oh, that's so sweet. A lot of people think when they see a big person like, oh, they like cake, I like cake. And they really simplify it in their heads. But if you go to any kind of recovery meeting where people are sharing their stories, it doesn't take very long to realise that, People have really good reasons why they're 300 pounds or 400 pounds. There are really good reasons why people eat. Not to, like, bring the tone down really early on, but if you've got kids, guys, like, educate them a little bit about that. Talk to those precious little ones about not bringing tears to the
0: eyes of the larger people in their lives. Yeah. Another thing that I did to make money was I worked at a bakery, Obs. I definitely left quite a few mysterious fingerprints and bites out of random things in the freezer of that major grocery retailer. I just couldn't help myself.
1: Yeah. Snacking at work is definitely a theme in my career as well. I've worked in like promotional environments a lot. So there's often like promotional product that you're giving away. I remember like by the end of the promo campaign, I'd be like, don't show me another insert chocolate product because I'm going to literally puke. Yeah. It's the field of dreams. How about
0: you, Sam? I imagine that little fat Sam would have had a few pots on the stove in addition to like a lemonade stand empire.
1: Hustling from a young age, like you shared, was kind of necessary because I had this sugar habit basically that I had to maintain. So early things was like my parents would have an afternoon nap after they'd been slogging it out in the garden all morning. Prime time, prime time. So I would take a little trowel around to our garden and I would dig up plants and then repot them in little pots, take them around the neighbourhood on a trolley and basically sell my parents' own <laughs> plants. <laughs> that is amazing. Ghoul Chatkana, who lived across the street, swore that her daisies were the best in the neighbourhood and that it was because of my green thumb. And I was like, those are hot goods, lady. Those are five-finger discounted plants. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Did your mom notice? My parents would wake up and they'd be like, oh, where are the begonias? (laughs) You know, like they just, I don't know. They didn't notice because there were just so many plants, I guess. Peter fucking rabbit over here. Meanwhile. If you don't buy good snacks. I will get my snacks regardless. Another thing I did was um, there were some kids up the street that... Just, I don't know. Their parents were both doctors. They had money. So, like, I would sell them marbles. My sister had a huge marble collection, so I would take her marbles and then sell them to the kids, but, like, at exorbitant prices. I feel really bad now about it. What kind of of markup are we talking here? Like $5 for one marble
0: (laughs) in the 90s. That is called those kids had no concept of money. Serves them right.
1: My next kind of career ambition was to be in a musical. I used to love to sing and Les Miserables came to town. And so I was preparing to audition for the role of Cosette. Oh, my gosh. I prepared the song from Annie, Maybe. And then my mum would, like, have a friend over in the afternoon for, like, a sundown or a drink and she'd be like, Sam, sing Maybe for us. And I remember walking down the hallway after a performance of it, hearing them sipping wine and mum going to her, well, I don't know what her chances are because, you know, they're looking for a waif. Oh. So I was like, is that a type of biscuit? And then I looked up what it was and I realized, like, oh, wow. So suddenly there's this seed of doubt planted. It's like, oh, I'm not suitable for the job. Yeah, that is a low blow. It's like, I should have charged you, mom, for that incredible rendition of maybe. If you don't mind. My friend worked at Burger King, which is called Hungry Jacks in Australia. I said to my mom, what if I got a job at Burger King? And she was like, no one would buy a burger from you, Sam. No one wants to buy a burger from a fat girl. I highly disagree. I think it would be the opposite. She's having a great time. So this was when the internet first came out. The radio station I listened to did this call for someone to help out with reviewing websites, like think GeoCities, and they wanted someone to literally come on and go, Google is a website that allows you to search for things. All you have to do is type in, like, that was what I did. And I did these little reviews. I was called Byte Babe, B-Y-T-E. Oh, my. Look at this little internet historian over here, like an archive. I would get tickets to, you know, concerts, garbage, things like that. Ooh. So I would I would do these reviews. And, I mean, I think down the track I got paid to do some stuff as well on radio. But that was that was my first entrance into it all. Possibly my lowest career point uh, as a fatty was telemarketing and it was terrible and I didn't last very long. I think we've both had our own uh, hide out the back moments, which is the ultimate in fat phobia, really. But where else have you experienced fat phobia in your work career?
0: For me, it almost seems like it's more apparent in what I didn't do than what I did and why I didn't do it. So... You know, I worked at a plus-size women's clothing store, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's still around. It's called Additionelle. So I worked there, and everyone else, like, was in a larger body, and that that was fun to feel like one of the girls. But there was this kind of unacknowledged tension that we all carried that once we leave the doors of this establishment, we are once again... Targets. Yeah. And I also definitely had a sense of shame about working there. Like when people would ask, I'd say, Oh, I work at Yorkdale, which is like the mall, a mall here in Toronto. I'd say, Oh, I work at Yorkdale. They say, Oh, where? And I made up this name for the store that was like close <laughs> enough to the name, but that they wouldn't know. I'm like, I work at AE Sport Co. They're like, Where? I'm like, AE Sport Co. You and I like cut from the same cloth, the same piece of plus size cloth. The same piece of hideous paisley plus size cloth. I would say I work at A.E. Sport Co well, what part of the mall is that in? I'm like, it's near the back. So how about you? Like, I just wouldn't, I I, I felt a sense of shame about it. So it was like, yes, I had a job, but something I wouldn't do is tell you I work in a plus size women's clothing store.
1: Believe it or not, this dress size 24 body actually needs clothes that look decent. That is such a skill. Like honestly, and it's, it's shown up for me later in life when I'm in like a presentation and the client's asking questions and you have to be able to think on your feet. Yeah, We'll get to the pluses of being plus size later. Um, but that stands out for me as one of them for sure. Again, David Copperfield.
0: I had pretty basic bitch dreams career-wise as a fat girl because really simple things were not available to me. So anything with a uniform. Like I really wanted to work in a movie theater and I really wanted to work at this amusement park. I wanted to work at Cano's Wonderland and I wanted to work in the movie theater. But I knew like they have uniforms. If it was just the top, I could get away with it but the things with Canada's Wonderland they had bottoms too. Oh what? They had khaki's like like in that you had to wear. So I just knew. I'm like, "Oh, well, I can't do that." So that was kind of the way that fat like internalized fat phobia
1: showed up or just like internalized limitations. When you said Canada's Wonderland, it just filled me with instant dread. My head straight away went to like roller coaster seats and like not being able to get through the bar yep. and like just the kind of things that still comes up for me you know it's nuts isn't it i remember sitting and it was
0: so difficult to get the lap bar down like i couldn't get the lap bar down the attendant had to come over in front of everyone and he had already been like enjoy your ride on the great canadian mind buster And I'm, like, trying so hard to press down the lap bar and it wouldn't go. And they had to not start the train. The man had to come over and visibly,
1: like, push down my lap bar. I was mortified. I would have been like, just leave it. I would rather die. (laughs) (laughs) I, I would rather
0: die right now, A oh, 1,000%. Yes, I would rather die. So didn't work at Canada's Wonderland, wouldn't have applied to work at a movie theater, even though I loved movies. I wanted so badly to be a restaurant hostess, so badly, like just to be at the front end.
1: You would have been great too, because you've got the attitude for it. I can just imagine you would wield a clipboard like no one. And would be like,
0: you're not on the list. There is no list. There is now, and you're not on it. <laughs>
1: All of that, like it was some exclusive Hollywood VIP party. I would love it. It would
0: honestly be like uh, the Illuminati annual general meeting is how I would treat the CAG. <laughs> Those are just some of the ways that I internalized fat phobia—not necessarily external, but definitely ways that I limited myself. Did Australia
1: provide you with like a few fat phobic moments? Like I definitely remember. It wasn't something that people would hide or skirt around. It was like, yeah, you need to be hot, basically. Like, they didn't say it, but it was... They didn't need to say it. In one particular case, when my mum and I pulled into a car park for a job interview, um, there was a bumper sticker on someone's car that said it loud and proud and just set me up for going in for this interview. Imagine this. Okay, so root in Australia is a term that doesn't mean tracksuit. I
0: believe it means making
1: love. Um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mum and I pull into this car park of this job interview and there's this car in the car park. There's this bumper sticker on the car that says, Fat chicks, shoot them, don't root them. <gasps> Can you? <laughs> oh, my- I would sl- I would slash his tyres. Oh, my mum was like, do you want to not go in for the interview and we'll slash his tyres and make a getaway? And I was like, so close to saying like yes i don't think it was the person i was interviewing with but someone had this bumper sticker and i was like my mom and i never stopped talking about it like we still to this day are horrified this is the type of dude
0: that would hang those fake balls off the edge of his truck a
1: hundred percent on the hitch at the back ew barf and and then later in life there were things like you know Just less overt, fat phobic stuff, like water cooler conversations where people would be complaining how they were fat, but they were actually a size eight. Like when you would go to Weight Watchers and be like, I just need to take off these last 10 pounds. I'm like, multiply 10 by fucking 17, bitch. God bless them. Like, no. Another thing uh, that I had was a boss who liked to ask me, what's shaking bacon? There's, I have a name. It's Sam. It's quite lovely. There was also like the endless lunchtime comments on food. So, you know, people would come over and- Either I would be trying really hard to be really s- healthy and strong and they'd be like, oh, salad again. And it's like, yes, salad again. And I'm ready to shoot myself in the head, but you don't need to sound disappointed about it. There are times
0: that I'd be eating a salad at work and my hand was actually vibrating with the level of psychic energy it was taking me to once again eat a salad with a dressing of fucking lemon juice.
1: And then there was always the gym class invitations. Like, you know, that became a thing more into the the noughts where it would be like... Constantly asking you to come and join the team at an after school gym class at like the latest hotshot gym. Yep. It sounds tame and innocent to someone that doesn't have body trauma, but for somebody that does, that is like just not an option. To this day,
0: the only way that I like to exercise is alone and by myself. I don't want anybody seeing me in that way. That like I got mercilessly teased in gym class, especially during the 12 minute run test. Let me tell you, we're talking 12 seconds, barely. And it gave me plantar fasciitis bad. And so to this day, I know like I have a treadmill in my apartment, which I rented for a lockdown. I can run so much further on my treadmill alone than I can when I'm at the gym between two people. Yeah. Cause it's just, I just shut down. It just, a part of me just shuts down. Like I can't, I can't do this. Like if I exercise with you, we are deeply in love.
1: You don't want to say the swearing and the complaints that I make while I'm doing it. I'm just like, yeah, my boyfriend can handle it, and then that's about it. Oh, my mental state
0: before a workout is basically a before shot for Zoloft. Like it's, it's, it's bad. So what about positive experiences? One of the things that I always appreciated about the realm of work as I got older was there's was almost this armor and shield that professionalism gives you. So what I mean by that is I really liked that my weight isn't going to be discussed in this professional milieu, it's just not. Like, whereas in every other arena, it's a factor. It's a factor in friendships, dating, school, at home with my family. I know that when I go to this doctor's office to file patient files and restock the supply cupboard, they're not going to be talking to me about my weight. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. So there's almost this armor I felt that I got from professionalism where my weight isn't going to be a factor. And I really like that. And in terms of like workspaces that were just positive that way, I remember this one manager that I had. I worked in nonprofit supportive housing. The man would witness me eat two lunches because he would take me out for the second after I ate my first one at my desk. <laughs> Bless his heart. Like I would eat my full, like healthy with lemon juice salad. And he would say, do you want to go out for Pmeal bacon sandwiches? I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do want to go out for Pmeal bacon sandwiches because you and me both know that this salad didn't cut it. Of course. And I just love that. I love that it wasn't like, oh, like I were being bad or this or that. Like there was just no comment on it. It was just one thing that I would say as well is that places where I've worked, where my preferences around food have been accepted A, at face value and B, have not been challenged. That has been wonderful. So when I say I choose not to celebrate uh, my birthday with food, but I'd love to get together and have a tea. And I've worked at a few places that have just said, yeah, that sounds, sounds great. Great. We'll, we'll have some tea and we'll this and that. And it was like, that's been really lovely. And I'm just going to say it. This might seem like a small thing for the love of God and all that is holy. If your workplace has folding chairs, burn all of them. Just get a gigantic, gigantic, container of gasoline and start a bonfire. There is nothing more terrifying to a person in a large body than walking into a meeting room and saying, Oh, we just set up some extra chairs at the back. All they're thinking about the entire time is, will this chair snap? And I have never done a squat this long in my life because my thighs are on fire because I cannot put my entire weight on this chair. So sturdy furniture. How about you? Like, what would you consider? Because you've had some pretty blatant experiences. Like, what would you say would create
1: or help create a fat-topia at work? I want to say something about the food before I get onto that. Can I interject now and talk about cake for a second? There's always room for cake. So, like, you were talking about birthdays, which made me think about a workplace I worked at. Every month, they would hold a day called, like, birthday day, where they would get 10 or 15 full-size cakes from, like, really gourmet places. I see what's happening here. And you would all just get to go back and forth all day and try all these different cakes, which... It all sounds good, but it's actually not like no one's grateful for that. Don't even get me started. The worst. I would just say stay away from providing crap for your stuff. I know it became popular when all the startups in Silicon Valley started doing it and then everyone beca- it became this currency for millennials, but it's like, pay us real money and stop feeding us junk.
0: And if you are going to provide junk, provide it, don't push it. Because I think that what happens a lot of time is that food will be offered and then everyone's collective guilt is causing them to say the most horrific stuff. Like, oh, I really shouldn't. I've been so bad. Or I guess I'm going to have to work out for three hours after work. I'm like, just
1: eat the fucking donut. Guilty. Provide food.
0: Don't push it.
1: Yes. Number two, avoid comments on bodies or food. Unless it's like, wow, that smells great. Don't say anything. Don't wrinkle up your nose. Just let food be food. You know what I mean? And don't say anything to the person that reveals
0: the fact that you've been clocking what they've been eating for the past five months. Like, just
1: keep it light. Totally. If you have a work social media account, keep it body positive. Have sturdy furniture with preferably no arms. And if you have uniforms and someone says to you, I prefer to have an extra large like me. That's always what I say. I prefer a large fitting T-shirt. Don't try and convince me that I could get into a smaller size. Oh
0: my gosh, this one time in high school, when you were in the last year of orchestra, because I played the violin. So the last year of orchestra, you had to wear a kilt. Sam, when I tell you, I had to go to the kilt store, walking there the whole way with my girlfriends knowing these aren't going to fit. And I had to stand there while the sales clerk in front of my friends said, You're going to have to get your teacher to write you a permission slip to get two kilts, which we can sew together.
1: I just don't get that people don't think like on their feet, like we did. One hundred percent.
0: So I would say again, just let people pick their own their own uniforms. This this goes out for like more than just making an accommodating workplace for people who are in larger bodies, but in general, for after work stuff that still work, invite people once kindly. And then respect their response yes. because people have many reasons why they don't want to join you for drinks after work. It could be, I don't drink. It could be, I'm choosing to go to a, like a support program. It could be, I'm going to go home and add shit to my carts on Amazon and bed, bath and beyond.ca, but I don't want to go invite kindly and then just
1: respect people's privacy i want to drink around people who i can let loose with i want
0: to let loose with people who would only want one fork with a slice of cake
1: that's <laughs> that's who i want to let loose with damn straight. um so another one here goodbye group dieting oh fitness God. challenges and the biggest loser company edition
0: get out of here
1: people can access fitness on their own. I don't mind if they want to like spot like if someone wants to do a fun run or whatever and they're like we'll pay for your entry but just don't pressure people to have to do it if they're not comfortable with that yeah we've kind of touched on this already but like diversity in food at work so if you're going to be putting out cakes also offer other food if you're going to be offering drinks make sure you have non-alcoholic beverages and like soda water and things like that so that people can be a part of without having to feel left out. I know we're talking a lot about don't comment on people's food and it can be a bit confusing
0: because food is definitely a way that people connect. And I totally recognize that. I think it's about not focusing so much on an individual's food. You can talk about kind of food in general, but like there's a difference between saying, oh, I made curry last night too versus oh god you know I'm trying to avoid rice you know
1: what I mean just all the carbs I mean those are two vastly different things right and also think of other ways to celebrate that aren't booze and food like that's that's one way to get together with stuff but there are other ways to to connect with people too and I think we sometimes can forget that
0: you can celebrate me by giving me my birthday as a vacation day that's how you can celebrate
1: me yeah I worked somewhere that used to do that that's a good one the other big one I think is diversity in your team. We are still kind of in a mindset of,
0: the benefit of diversity is that you're gonna look at a picture of our company group photo and you're gonna see a lot of you know difference. The benefit of that is that you're also getting diversity of thought. You cannot have diversity of thought without diversity of makeup on your workforce. If everybody came from the same private girls' school, they
1: all think the same way.
0: They're not going to have the same life experience as someone else.
1: I think we look at things very simply too. Like we think, oh, someone has a struggle, therefore they're broken. It's like, it's not how I look at things. What are some of the reasons you think people should be hiring and accommodating and making room and promoting larger people in in companies?
0: Well, let me tell you, the, the experience of growing up in a larger body is basically like Navy SEALs training. I mean, (laughs) it it really, in a sense, I mean, years of hypervigilance give you an ability to read a room and assess for threats like that, like so quickly. I, I, to this day, go into a room. I'm like, I know the mood. I know what I need to say. I know if I need to like bring myself up or bring myself down. Like, you know, immediately because. Part of growing up in a large body and like always being at risk of someone making fun of you is I need to know how to disarm this person fast. Huge asset, right? In addition to that, being someone who grew up in a large body, being someone who's in a large body- You understand what it means to not be included. You understand what it means to not be included. You understand what it means to have certain things not available to you. And I think that it gives you a more empathic, or I should say, if I dare say so myself, I think it's given me a more empathic nature, according to my therapist, granted who I pay $140 an hour. She has told me that you just know the feeling of exclusion very, very well. And I think that that's a key skill to
1: have. And also, I, I can see bullshit a fucking mile away, Nat. Like, yeah, I call them, I call them the, the, the fat lady spidey senses. I think they're helpful to have around. I think so. So, yeah, eating disorders show up in all kinds of different bodies. They show up in all kinds of different ways. And if you really believe that you have the power to solve your colleagues' eating issues with a sharp comment or by pressuring them to be part of your latest Get Fit project, you may be seriously overestimating your powers and underestimating the power of this person's eating disorder. Can we just say that? And let me tell you,
0: you are guaranteed underestimating how much this person hates you.
1: (laughs) Right. And when we talk about creating diverse workplaces, to summarise, we also should be considering Bringing in a diverse range of struggles into that. Mm -hmm. Socioeconomics, like we mentioned, mental health, physical challenges, all of these personal experiences help create a more robust and rounded pun intended, customer experience for your clients or for the people around your industry? We envision a kind of more
0: softer, more gentle space where it's okay to have the same lunch four days in a row. And Larry from accounting is not going to comment on what you had last spring for lunch. And it's no big deal if you aren't yet comfortable doing burpees with the boss or going out for drinks after work. That is the type of space and consideration that we want for our dear listeners and for the love
1: of God, no folding chairs. That was episode three of Full Fat. I'd hire you in an instant. Love it. You can subscribe to Full Fat on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Spotify and we'd really love it if you could give us a rating and a review while you're there. Follow us on Instagram at
0: thisisfullfat and email us for advice. This is full fat at gmail.com, as we'll be launching an advice segment soon called Dear Fatties.
1: Episodes drop on the first and third Thursday of every month. The next one will be out December 17. You are officially invited to our hefty holiday episode. Until then, as we say, stay greasy, ladies. Stay greasy, ladies.